0: It is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. And the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Amari Global is the first-ever revolutionary mental wellness company focusing on the gut-brain connection for adults and children. Amari's holistic products are designed to optimize performance, positivity, and motivation. The products are made with ancient natural wisdom combined by modern science that supports mood, focus, stress resilience, and whole-body wellness. Whether you're an Olympic athlete or a stressed-out parent, Amari Global's scientific approach is designed to meet you where you are and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Welcome back to AutismRadio.org, home of the world's first autism
1: support radio network and proud 501c3 charitable organization helping families challenged with autism every day get services they desperately need. Please help us make a difference in the autism community and find it in your heart to support 1 in 88 families in America today. Donate directly at autismdonation.org. Now, stay tuned for a special broadcast of hope saves the day with autism activist, super dad and author of the spectrum diet, master chef and the hope man himself. Your host Paul Simmons. Thank
2: you for that great introduction. As always, it's great to be back on another edition of Hope Saves the Day. On today's program, I have a very special guest, and we're just taking a step away from the topic of autism for this episode. Uh, his name is Kevin Donaldson, and he has a number, almost a top number one global podcast that is called the Suffering Podcast, that is critically critically acclaimed. Uh, he's a retired police officer. Uh, He's a keynote speaker that talks about men in crisis across the East Coast of the United States. And again, he's going to talk a little bit about his journey. And he's also the president and founder of the Dented Development Project. I'd like to give a warm welcome to our guest tonight, Kevin Donaldson. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, You know, us living so close together,
3: it's funny that we're doing this on Zoom. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's great. It's very rare in this world that you find somebody so close to you doing something that's near and dear to your heart that you 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 want to you want to have this conversation with. And here we are just, you know, behind computer screens. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you, Kevin, for for joining us. I, I think your your story is gonna resonate with a lot of people. I think our listeners, this again, what you're doing, uh making such an impact on the world and and the and so many people's lives out there that you're impacting. Um, So first, tell us a little bit about your journey, how you kind of started some of these programs and and what brought you to talk about mental health. And just, again, we'll get into the specifics of that. But again, just trying to get away from the stigma of so many people have about mental health and afraid to really talk about it and share uh, challenges of, of what they're dealing with. So why don't you just start us off with telling a little bit about
3: yourself? See, I'm a I'm a person that believes there's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as serendipity. You're not unlucky. You are always put in the exact spot that you're supposed to be in at that time, and that is to make you what you're supposed to be eventually. My story, listen, my story, it, it could take up hours and hours and hours because I, I was I was a kid that was grow, uh, grew up in the Atlantic City area. And, you know, I I had a a really kind of rough home life, um, but I was always looking for, you know, something to grab onto, some sort of identity, whether it was the sports kid or whether it was the smart kid or whether it was the bully. You know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows growing up, Um, but I I just could never find my way in this world because my home life was very toxic. Okay, so um, fast forward, I, I... you know, you got to remember, too, I grew up in the Atlantic City area in the 80s, in the late 70s very and 80s. Very different. Very different. Very, very different. You know, you're talking mafia run. Um, I I knew them all. I knew them all, right. And he, those were the people you looked up to. Those were the people of power. Those were the people of influence. And it, 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 you can go one of two ways. Either you can look at that and say, I'm never going to be that or you say, hey, that that looks attractive to me. To me, it started to look attractive. It started to look too attractive. But I'm the type of person that I try to remove myself from toxicity. So I move. I have an opportunity to go away to college. I was a pretty bright kid. And I go away to North Jersey to actually I started living in the town I live in now. I've been here for 28 years in Parsippany, New Jersey. and. You know, I, I I found that I could reinvent myself when I went away to college. You know, I played college football. I was I was really good in academics, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I still haven't found my place, my purpose in life. You know, when I, mm-hmm. I went to college, I love college. I went to college to be, uh, first I went for theological studies, because I always wanted to be a pastor. I was real tied into my faith. Even though I was a bad kid, I always loved my faith. And when I went to college, I ended up losing my faith. So I I figured the next best thing would be to shape young minds. So I wanted to, I did all my college career trying to become a school teacher and I did. When I got into it, I hated it. I hated it. There's, there's nothing harder in the world to work your whole life towards something. And then when you get it, you're like, yeah, oh, this isn't this isn't for me. Didn't but I, I found either. it didn't resonate with no. me. No, No, you know, it just wasn't me. It just wasn't me. And, you know, from there, I bounced around job to job until one day I'm in the gym and a guy comes up to me, he goes, hey, you ever thought about being a police officer? And, you know, at the time I was, I was traveling coast to coast. I was tired of traveling. I was a young guy and it's, it's traveling coast to coast, living out of a suitcase four weeks out of the month. Sounds glamorous, but it gets real old, real quick. I'm not built like that. I always feel that I, in order for me to be off of work, I got to be in my own bed, and that wasn't that was a rarity, not a not a staple in my life. So I said, you know what this this sounds like a good job. You know, you got a pension, you got benefits, you got the benefits, uh, and you can make a difference in the world. You know, it's one of those jobs. How many jobs out there do they make movies out of? And that's police work, right? right. So I thought it was I thought it was really good, and in New Jersey. Being a police officer is one of the most competitive job markets out there because it pays good. Right. Um, I take the test and I do well on the test. I'm very fortunate. It was the first test I had ever taken as a police officer. I, it was never my goal to be a police officer. But once I got the job and I started, you know, I loved it. just applied. It, it really, it really applied to my, the, my nature, you know, the discipline, the education, the fact that you are representing of something, the better good of society, you know, when people are hurt or people are scared, they lo- they're going to look to you. And it's, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling to be that person who has the ability to go in and help somebody. Unfortunately, when I was in the police Academy, um, I, well, I went into the police Academy on August of 2001 and we all know what happened in September of 2001. So everything changed. Everything changed the way police work did was done. It all changed. And, um, you know, I get out of the police Academy and I'm standing post in this post terroristic fear society where this wasn't the, the, the it wasn't kind of, wasn't the job I signed up for, but it was the job that I needed. And it was the job that I wanted. And I loved it. I loved it. You know, and it wasn't chasing the bad guys. It wasn't car chase. We had plenty of them. Sure. Um, but it was that person who needed medical attention. Okay. And they are looking up at you saying, help me. And you can actually do something, right? You're not just there comforting them. You can actually work on them and do something and you impact people's lives forever doing that job. So I took the job as a job. I realized that the job was way, way more than just a job it was a real purpose and a calling i felt fulfilled at the end of the day
2: right
3: you know and there, there's a lot of jobs out there i'm not discounting any other job no, was absolutely. but this is your
2: path this is what you were doing and and it was filling that gap of what you needed in your life at that time
3: exactly what i needed like i told you before it's always where you're supposed to be it was a, it was some people might say that i had a run of good luck getting that job No, I was supposed to be in that gym that day. I was supposed to meet that person who offered that job. I was supposed to take that test. I was supposed to be in the police academy on 9-11. You know, and it was a proud job. Yeah, I went home with my head held high knowing that I didn't just earn a paycheck. I did a job. I did a service. Being a civil servant, it's it's a very selfless career. You know, you give yourself to it. The one problem with police work is it slowly chips away at your soul. Uh, you're seeing things that the average human is not supposed to see one of the statistics that was told to me was the average human being sees one maybe two critical incidents in their lifetime right police officer in a 20-year career will see upwards of 800 so take your worst day and multiply it by 800 right and that's police work so you know it's it's those little calls it's you know you're there was one in particular, and I, I speak about this in, in a book that I'm writing right now, where I get dispatched. And we were in a small little suburban town. And I get dispatched to go. There's a bear running through somebody's backyard. Somebody calls the police. Like, what am I going to do? Right. In all honesty, what am I going to do? Smile at the bear? Try to be Davy right. Crockett and grin him down? <clears throat> so I You know, I half-heartedly go up there. On the way up there, they say, respond to this area, gunshot to the head. Uh, son and his mother get into an argument son goes up and grabs a 22 caliber hand pistol puts it up to his temple pulls a trigger so i show up at the scene i'm the first one because i was right there and i'm the first one there for what seems like forever it always seems like forever yeah. when time when you're yeah continuous
2: yeah.
3: yeah it just never stops yeah. and there he is he's up against the wall and i could still see him to this day his head was down and he was breathing. And if you know what agonal breathing is, it sounds like you're snoring. Mm. They call it the death rattle. Like gurgling almost. Right. He's, it sounds like he's snoring. You know, his, his chin's at his chest yeah. and he's... he's yeah. That type of guttural sound. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere on the floor. The gun's over there. It's still smoking. That's how quickly I was there. So you you make the scene safe. You, you secure the gun. You empty the bullets. And now I'm trying to move... And this guy was a big guy. He was like 300 pounds. You move them into their left on their left side, which is called the recovery position. But the the, the tile floor is covered in blood. Right. The blood is very very viscous; it's like cooking oil, right. slippery. And I'm slipping around. I fall on my knee. I got blood all over my uniform. Just trying to get this guy to clear his airway so he's not going to drown. And his head goes boom, hits the hits the ground. I'm like, oh no, I just I I killed this guy. He was brain dead already. Right, but that's what goes through your head. And, and then that call gets cleared and then I got to go rechase the bear. So that's not something that a human being is supposed to see. Those calls compounded over time. Just eat away at your soul and eat away at your soul. And it's a tough thing to, it's a tough thing to go home when you just saw somebody do that and your wife asks you, Hey, how was your day? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to talk about that. Let's be honest. You don't want to bring that home with you no no. you're paid to do that stuff they're not they 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 don't have the people at home are are the true unsung heroes of police work because they have to see their spouse hurting knowing that they you know their spouse knows that they don't understand what you just saw
2: but they want to help and they just don't know how they can't because you're you're going through the emotional trauma and, and it's very hard to talk about it, obviously with your, especially with your spouse. I know, um, when you're going through something, it's not easy to talk to them about that kind of stuff, not the, and you probably don't want to bring, no, you don't to want them. to relive it. You don't want to relive it.
3: So, you know, it's like, Hey, how was your day? Well, you never talked. And then you get this, you never talked to me. Well, okay. Right. What do you want to say? Right. What do you want to hear? You want right. to hear the the color of that dead baby that I just saw. Was you? It was like a turquoise color. You want to hear about that? Because we can talk about that. And you start getting agitated, right? Exactly. But one of the things you do over time is you're a human being. Police all, all police officers are human beings, of course. And these things hurt you, but you don't ever want to be hurt like that again. Because there's a high likelihood you're going to see something like that in the future. So you slap on a piece of armor so that that piece that that call that type of call never hurts you like that again. Never hurts your soul. And then time moves on and you're just so weighted down with this armor that you slapped on trying to protect yourself from this emotional pain, you can barely stand up. And, you know, after a 20 year career, you're, you, you know, we're, we're all, we're all born. What I believe this is, again, this is my belief. I'm not a therapist. I'm not anything, but I believe we're, uh, we're born with a glass of, a, uh, and that glass holds the amount of crap that we can take throughout our lifetime you know and water gets thrown in and water gets thrown in and water gets thrown in and you never know how big that glass is and it could be something innocuous that makes that glass spill over and you break mentally right. mine mine was real simple you know mine my glass spilled over on july 13 or july 10th 2013 um that was the night we get called to a domestic well, it was an unknown call at the time. It was an, what's called an open 911 call. Okay. In the 911 system, when it was set up, any 911 dial, you have to respond. all right? Because that way, so if somebody's holding them hostage, or even if it's a missed dial, even if it's a little kid playing with the phone, you got to go. This was an open 911 call, which means somebody dialed 911, put the phone down. And they can hear yelling in the background. So we know it's something serious. And the address that we were going to We knew that address, uh, there had been previous threats. There was a temporary restraining order between a boyfriend, girlfriend. So we knew that address. We knew this was something pretty serious. We go there, we go there, lights on, it's about 10.45 at night, and me and my partner, we're doing about 80 miles an hour, getting there. And we pull up right in front of the residence. We go up to the door, we pound on the door, and we can hear the screaming inside we can hear somebody yelling don't come in here don't come in here well the door's obviously locked and um we can't get in so we're gonna we're gonna make entry we're gonna force our way in now contrary to popular belief whatever you see in the movies you do not kick down doors no. they're steel front doors no okay <laughs> You do it. You're gonna break your leg. So so we carried what was called a Halligan bar in our trunk And it's like a fireman's crowbar multi-tool type of thing right. Real easy to break in a door if you if you know how to use it
2: right.
3: I go to my car. I get that my partner goes around back on A signal now what you got to do with the Halligan bar. It's got like a hammer on the front You pound the door and you make a little room for the crowbar to stick in and then you pop the door okay. so on a signal like a one, two, three, I start pounding the door and I hear, pop, 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 pop. I hear about three or four gunshots. Oh, boy. Now, I'm sitting on this little townhouse front porch portico thing right in front of the door. Like, What was going on was this this gentleman named Anthony Vocatoro was really upset that his girlfriend broke up with him. And he was going to go kill her. He had a 9 millimeter Glock. And as he was raising the gun to shoot her in the head, my partner exchanged gunfire with him. Right through a sliding glass door in the rear deck. So we retreat and other officers were showing up at the time. I go around the back. Now a privacy deck in a townhouse is maybe, I don't know, eight foot by 15 foot with the wood slat walls. They're all over there. You know, they're a dime a dozen around here. We can, when there's three of us that go in the back and we're, we go up on this deck and there's patio furniture. So I go, so if you enter in and just to give you a, a visual, the steps are on the left-hand side. I go all the way over to the right because I can see everything. I could see the victim, the victim sit, seated against the wall with her knees to her chest, obviously upset, not looking at us. And that would, that should have been our first clue, but we weren't thinking like that. We didn't see this, um, the, the guy, uh, this Mr. Vocatoro at all, our plan was to make entry. We, threw, we were going to throw a chair through the sliding glass door window and, save, and go preserve life. As soon as we throw this, my partner throws the chair through, I see this absolute, the brightest light I ever see. I, I feel the heat and flash coming at my face. I feel gunpowder. If you ever go into the range and shot a gun, you get blowback. Yep, yeah. the little grains of gunpowder just, they just like sand against your face. Right, I feel that. So he was sitting right behind the pillar next to the sliding glass door, and as it was broken, put his gun around and fired right at me. Wow! From the crime scene, they they suspect that the I know the I know that I could feel the wind of the bullet going past my left ear. It wiggled my ear, but they suspect it was about an eighth of an inch. That it went past my left ear i hit the ground now at the time i have a seven month old and i have a three-year-old i have a wife at home it's you know it's about 11 30 at night
1: yeah.
3: um i hit the ground and i'm not sure whether i'm shot you always say if you're shot you're not gonna you know you don't sometimes you don't even realize it but i see a lot of blood uh the the glass from the sliding glass door was all over the ground i go down on my forearms and real, like, time just slows down. Real calm. You know, there's two types of people in the world. There's those that run towards danger and those that run away from danger. Yeah, right. Believe it or, believe it or not, some cops that night ran away. Yeah. Now, the, the, the tactical position that I thought I had, the good tactical position, turned out to be, uh, I, I pretty much almost signed my own death warrant. Because in order for me to get out, I would have had to go right past the door and if he was sitting there i'm dead yeah i'm trapped the other two guy other two officers on the deck they were able to get right off cuz they were right by the stairs right. so i'm trapped i can hear him yelling are you shot and i said i don't i don't know i can i can see a lot of blood my shoulder hurts yeah so i'm figuring this is it this is my last stand yeah but one of the things i i thought of is i said okay this is it for me you know you're coming with me Real calm, real slow. My heartbeat. I if I wish I had a heart rate monitor on because my heartbeat probably never got over eighty beats a minute. Uh, I think of my kids. You know, my my seven month old's never going to remember me. My three month, my three year old's going to remember bits and pieces. You know, coming to see daddy at work and turning on the lights, wearing my hat. There's a great picture of my son, my three year old wearing my hat. And my wife's going to have to, she's she's going to have to raise these boys all by herself. And only be only have stories to tell them. so I say goodbye and I figure this is it. I'm gonna die. Um, waiting for this guy now this guy fired at police twice, so there's no reason why we would think he wouldn't fire again. I get into a shooting position and then I hear and this this goes on for I don't know probably forty five seconds in reality, but it feels like two hours. Right. uh the officers who never left. They're moving patio furniture, covering the door, and they grab the back of my belt because I'm on my stomach. They grab the back of my belt and walk in, and help me out, and I'm able to get out, and I'm like, oh, this is great. The the actor goes upstairs, and the victim, this is the coolest thing in the world because the victim just sort of stands up slowly, stays to the wall, and enters out through the garage. We did wow. our job. Wow. We did our job. We preserved life. Yeah. I don't care if that guy stays in there for 10 years. Doesn't matter. Right. You Nobody, gotta pick them out. Yeah. Nobody's in danger anymore. Right. So we hold the perimeter for like two hours because we have what's called an active shooter situation.
2: Right.
3: And the state police, uh hostage negotiators show up, they relieve us, you know, and I go to the ambulance, get my arms bandaged up. But now I have to make the call to my wife. And it's probably about 12 o'clock at night, 12 30 at night. Yeah. I never carried my cell phone with me. So I got a call from an unknown number. Just picture this yep. from a spouse's perspective. Sure. You're getting a call at midnight from an unknown number. When you know your husband's working. Yep. I say, my wife's name is Tricia. I said, Tricia, I was in a shooting. I'm okay. I'm not shot. I have to go to the hospital. I got a glass on my arm. I'll be home as soon as I can. And, you know, I can hear that in her voice, how upset and scared she is. And she wants to ask me dozens of questions. Yep. but I can't answer. I'm sitting in the back of an ambulance. So when I come back from the hospital, they removed as much glass as they could. And I still, to this day, have some glass. I think it's right about there. Okay. Um, You know, that that's just embedded in there. They can't get it out. So I get back, the guy, get, they, they get, they arrest a the guy and uh, I grab all my stuff. I'm ready to go home. It's beautiful. They, they they actually tell me like, well, you know what? I was supposed to work. This was a Wednesday night. I was supposed to work Thursday. You can take off Thursday, come back Monday. It's beautiful. I got a four-day weekend. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know and I'm riding high. I get home. I get, I, I'm amped up. I can't sleep. I go out for a run. I try to clear my head. I walk my dog. Uh, anything just to clear my mind. But I give my kids and my wife the biggest hug that I've ever give them, given them in my entire life. Everybody, of course, is over the moon. But my wife wants to, my wife wants to, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, she wants to ask you some questions. No, 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 no. That was a, that was a song. Um, but my wife wants to ask ask me all these questions and I, I don't, I don't really feel like answering them to be honest with you. I just, I I don't anyway. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to do that. And, um, I, uh, I, I get a little bit of sleep I wake up to about 50 phone calls. What happened? What happened? What happened? Cause that's, that's police. world. police, world. everybody wants to know what happened,
2: right?
3: But everything's cool. Everything's good. Everything's all right. Um, my wife wants to take, she, her and I want to go out just to celebrate, you know, that I'm still alive and we're sitting in a movie theater and we're watching this movie. It's a Seth Rogen comedy or dark comedy called this is the end. And there's a bang. I start hyperventilating, I start sweating. I can't catch my breath, my my, my heart's pounding out of my chest, I don't know what the hell's going on. I get up, because I don't want to alarm her, she's been through enough, you know, I, I get up, and I say, you know what, my stomach hurts, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I go wait out in the hallway, I can't go back in the movie theater. This is the onset of post-traumatic stress, right here. Wow. wow. That night, I had- trigger. That was your trigger right at that moment. That was it. That's It just it took a little time to come in. That night I had about the worst nightmare. It was so bad that I woke up and I was so soaking wet. I thought I urinated in my sleep. That's how bad it was. I had to check to make sure it was just sweat. And every night thereafter, it just continued to get worse and worse. And you just get no sleep. And what a little sleep you do get, you have night terrors. So you remove yourself from the bedroom. And you go sleep in another place. So because you don't want to, you don't want to alarm. They've been through enough. Yeah. And you don't know what to do. You don't know what's going on. You feel weak. You feel emasculated. I'm supposed to be stronger than this. But you're not. But you're not. Down the rabbit hole I go. And uh after uh one night I go into my office and I can't take the pain no more. I'm drinking, just anything to to, to ease the pain, and you know, I end up putting a gun in my mouth and i'm I'm ready to go, you know, I got uh, signed a note, say goodbye, give all the passwords to all the accounts, and that's it. And wow. that's it. And um, if they're sitting there with a gun in my mouth for about twenty minutes, I take it out and I look at it and this this gun that weighs about one point nine pounds feels like it's a lead weight in your hand. And that was the first time that I attempted to end the pain through suicide. There were several other attempts. Um, and you just go down and down and you you anesthetize your body through alcohol and they they prescribe you Klonopin anti-anxiety, they prescribe you antidepressants. That plus alcohol is a, such a dangerous mixture. But I wanted to die. In reality, I wanted to die. I didn't want to live like this. You were just trying to numb numb the pain. I didn't want my kids or my wife to see what I'd become. Yeah. You know, I, I looked like a zombie. Obviously, you know, I, you, I still have the haircut, but I didn't. To, I let my hair grow. I let my beard grow. My beard was about down to here. And I had had enough. Like, I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And I just kept going down into the darkness.
2: Wow. So what was the turning point that really, for you, that... You were able to get out of this somehow, or at least saved your life at that point. There were some people
3: who helped me along the way. One of them is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Eugene Stefanelli. Now, the the workers' comp will send you to some really bad therapists that don't understand you, that are there for a paycheck. But then there's some therapists like Dr. Stefanelli, who really know police officers. We're all type A personalities. We're hard-headed. We're thick-headed. You can't tell us anything. He worked on me and he worked on me there was times when i would disappear for three or four days and go live in the woods i just got paranoid and he really pulled me back to life and he got me involved in in some he got me involved in group therapy because when you're going through something like this you really believe that you are alone right but you're you're not you know it's it's it like i said it's extraordinarily emasculating to feel this weak in this moment. But when you get together with other people who are, and there are other officers who have yeah. been through similar situations, you are know, like, yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. Right. And Oh, that's me. Right. You don't feel alone anymore. And then you start with, changes your world right there at that moment. Correct. A hundred percent. When you have that support of like-minded people who do understand, you know, the right. biggest lie we tell ourselves is nobody can understand. Correct. correct. That is such
2: a lie. And people believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because at that moment, you're—it's you're, very hard to get out of your own way, right? You're—you're you're, you're not in a good mind state of mind, and uh, like you said, nobody—you know, you're like I'm suffering, and nobody understands what I'm going through. And then you have that aha moment—I call it—where you do meet that other person who connects with you. Or maybe if it's having be maybe even in a worse situation than what you went through, or something similar than what you went through. And then they're like, okay, we're in this together. And so and then, that you, helps. then when you're getting around all these other people, your
3: your your former self starts returning. You start joking around. You start you start really bonding over mutual pain. And that's why there's that the power of group therapy. I I can't say enough good things about group therapy. And it kind of led me into what I'm doing now. You know, I went through my bad times and it took me a long time to get out. It took me rehabs. It took me mental institutions. It took me down roads that, that I don't ever, that isolation, I don't ever want to go there again, nor do I want, and this is the most important thing, nor do I ever want anybody else to go through there. So I know the signs now because I've been there. I know what it's like. And I, I, my mission, my, my mission now is to make sure that everybody knows as well. I can't always understand what you're going through. I understand the darkness. Right. Right. And that's why, that's how I got involved in the podcasting world because
2: it's just an extension of group therapy. Right. But a broader range now, you're connecting with people. You don't even know who's listening sometimes. Right. And who's connected with you, um, that may be going through something again, dark times in their lives. And you're probably shining some light on them by talking about it, uh, which is so important today because I think, you know, we talked earlier, you know, I think the stigma of mental health is, is a struggle for a lot of people to talk about it because they're embarrassed, right? They feel like it's a sign of weakness, especially us as men. You know, we grew up, you and I, in similar times. And, and you would never, ever talk to your buddies about what you're going through right you know you got to be tough you got to be strong right you you don't you don't talk about that stuff right um because it's 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 a scary thing you don't talk about your feelings right so these are all things that i didn't I, find out what feelings were sharing this with others because it will help other people i didn't find out what feelings were until i was about
3: 39. you know we weren't supposed to have them no. you know we bury them deep down inside right. but you know the funny thing about about any type of suffering and I, I, obviously, it's a shameless plug. This One of the reasons why I call my podcast the Suffering Podcast. Right. One of the things about suffering is, is the longer you try to run away from it, the bigger it gets. You know, I, I I say this so many times, but it it's really something that I hold true in my life. Years ago, when I was on a business trip, I read a book, and it was How to Survive a Prairie Fire. Why I read it, I can't tell you. I just read very, very strange things. And a prairie fire... You know when when you see danger coming toward you your 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 instinct is to run away from everything is to run away and but with a prairie fire if you run away from a prairie fire it's going to grow and grow and grow and it's ultimately going to consume you and it's going to kill you but if you run straight towards that and you get through it you're going to come out the other side and you're going to be that much more resilient and the duration of the suffering is going to be so much smaller so when i have people on my show now they, one of my criterias is they have to be through the majority of their suffering because I want to give others listening the tools on how to overcome their adversities, how to right. overcome their own sufferings, and to teach them that, hey, listen, this instead of this being my weakness, like you just said, my weakness right. for these feelings, it's not my strength. You know, I tell people, yeah, I've had a gun in my mouth. Yeah, I've tried to, I've tried to kill myself numerous times. Thankfully, I failed every time, which kind of... <laughs> Which kind of leads to the whole failure mentality when you're in the midst and in the throes of it. You're like, oh man, there's another thing I'm a failure at. But it it leads to a a sense of resilience when you're through it. That, you know, the word suffering, it's such a visceral word that people try to avoid their whole life. But I've never met one person in my life, one interesting person in my life that doesn't have some suffering. Or doesn't have some junk in the back. Absolutely. If suffering, if great people have suffered, why do we run away from suffering?
2: So I'm trying to rebrand that word, suffering.
3: Yeah, (laughs) I've gotten some pushback,
2: but it's important though. It's it's important, Kevin, because you're you're right. You're touching upon a very, you know, this is a big subject today too. Because you know, one of the things that we're trying to do as society is put a spotlight on mental health and wellness, right? And getting people the tools, but they're still so. Resistant to this, and and again, it's just how do you connect to those people that are just again they're they're suffering in silence, right? You know, like I always say, the old story, and you've probably heard this is that when someone says, "Hey, how you doing?" you say, "Oh, I'm okay." Okay, is usually not okay. Um, Well, okay
3: is in the middle of broken, right? Right. It's it's in the middle of broken. You know, I I tell people I may not be watching the same movie, but I've been in that theater, and that's the that's the truth. You know, and it's kind of so. I become. Uh, I, I try to advocate for mental health to open up, and it's it's a different. It's a it's a tall it's order. Hard. It's very hard, but it's one of the reasons that myself and my co-author Chris Anderson from um, you'll see Chris Anderson on First Forty Eight and Reasonable Doubt. One of the reasons him and I got together and started writing this book about mental health is here's two guys that if you were to look at us, I'm six four, Chris is six five. All right, we're we're type A personalities. We're the quote unquote masculine men. You're guys, guys, you know, you, guys, know. guys. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it seems to be a bad word these days. I but know, I know. No, it's I, not. It's no. not. We're guys, guys, but we feel we're human. Right. And if we can, if we we show you that we can
2: feel it's OK, it's all it's all right not to be OK. Yeah, I mean, I you think, know, you know, growing up myself, like crying was not OK, right? It was, a, it was not an OK sign to show tears, right? That was a sign of weakness, being a wimp or whatever that was called back then. Um, walk it off walk it off exactly rub some dirt on it right. well
3: no that doesn't work that mm-hmm. doesn't work mm-hmm. all you're doing is running away from that prairie fire right. you know this this book is uh the, the name of it is man you are crazy so if you go to manyouarecrazy.com you can see it, see all the information about it it's coming out in uh late summer early fall 2023 okay and it's it's basically what we just talked about how this job chips away at your soul and we're going to get some um, some points of views from mental health professionals in that field. That's showing great. all showing all these little these little events throughout our careers. And Chris was a homicide detective in Birmingham. I mean, he saw some he saw some wicked stuff, and he's right. going to tell you it it almost destroyed his home life, and it almost destroyed my home life. My wife didn't know what to do. She was beside herself because she saw her husband, who one day went to work as a normal person right. and came home a completely changed man or
2: changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that as a, as a spouse? It's, it's crazy.
1: Right.
2: But that's, that's you know, crazy. You know, and it, you know, it's interesting when you're saying, and I'm thinking, you know, Kevin, even though that obviously that incident was the trigger, but I wonder if there was some things before that happened that was building up for that in, of your, course. in your career. Right. And I'm sure this happens to a lot of officers and military um, you know, a lot of them end, end up suffering from PTSD and and a lot of um, you know depression and mental health uh, strain because it takes a toll on you after a while.
3: Um, that's why we had 183 suicides last year in the in the police world. 183 that's suicides. It's sad. It is. It's it's uh, it's like one and a half times the national the national average. It's the highest rate of suicide out of any profession. Um, and some, some years we do good, some years we don't do good, but they just don't, they just don't want to show
2: weakness in any way. So they just end it. Well, I'm hoping that Kevin, what you're doing when your works again with your, you know, again, your, your, your nonprofit, your, your podcast, your book, all the things that you're doing is hopefully going to help change and maybe cut that down in half or even better. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's the ultimate goal is to save. You know, I always say one person at a time, right? Because you can't obviously you can't save everyone all the time, but you try to start with one, and that just keep building upon it, um, and hopefully it has a domino effect where a lot of other people you're able to save and help.
3: Um, all I did on. was all I did was take one life of service and enter into a new life of service. You right. know, that's that's where my identity lies. I'm a service service oriented human being. Yeah. All right. And I was a service oriented human being when I was a civil servant. And now my mission is to be a service oriented human being, learning from my own bad experiences. That's all I want to do. You know, in in the enormous amount of satisfaction that I got as a cop is the enormous amount of satisfaction I get when that person comes up. Wow. I listened to that, 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 you know, that hits home, that hits home on a lot of levels.
2: You know, it's almost, I think for yourself, and I don't know if this resonates for you, but a lot of times doing the podcast, is that almost like therapeutic for yourself? In a way to like helping others helps yourself heal as
3: well. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You know, and I'm hearing these stories, and sometimes these stories are real dark, but they always we always bring it back up and we always show how they got through it. So, you know, it's that perspective. You think whatever whatever suffering you have going on in your own personal life, there is somebody out there who's got it a little bit worse. So when you listen to their story, not to compare anything No, no, no. If you made it through, so can I, you know, Absolutely. if I'm here to fight another day, you're here to fight another day. And then that's how, that's how the, this space, this mental health space gets filled with such great people who are out there doing such great things.
2: Cause they don't want anybody to to go through what they went through. No, no. Yeah. No. Well, I, I commend you for what you're doing, Kevin, because it is such an important thing to, in today's world. Um, again shedding light on this and and offering support and and again just having a platform to talk about a difficult topic because it's still a very challenging topic to talk about. Um, again, I know I could probably take 10 guys and line them up and maybe two out of ten will talk about it let's be honest right and so we well, got there's the difference got a difference it. the difference in that is they will
3: talk they, and, and again, you know, Paul, your background, I'm I'm not hundred percent well versed in your background. Sure. But if you know, I know I know your your son has autism. Sure. So an, a parent of an autistic child is gonna speak to you, yep. may not speak to me because I'm I'm not gonna really understand what they're talking about. It's the same oh. thing with trauma. Yep. You know, somebody who's got past trauma is gonna is gonna be a little bit it's gonna be a little bit easier for them, a little bit more palatable to them to open up to me. Correct. Because they know I've been there. Right. Right. So that's that's my power in do, in going out and speaking and going out and doing my shows and doing all those things and writing the books because
2: they know I've been there. So do we have, speaking of speaking, do you have any things coming up that you'd like to talk about to let our listeners know where they can find you? Um, again, how they, how they can listen to your show, all that information. Obviously, we'll put links on the website and everything, but do you have anything coming up that maybe people want to come and watch you speak at a, at a seminar? All my
3: schedule is listed on my website, and that's real Kevin Donaldson. The reason, real, real com. The reason that's real Kevin Donaldson, because there's a lot of Kevin Donaldson's, right. uh, or you can go to the sufferingpodcast.com. com. Uh, right. Of course, from there, there's jumping off points to all of my social media Instagram and TikTok, Facebook. I'm not real big in LinkedIn. And then, of course, you can go to manyourecrazy.com and read all about the book but everything is up on our websites and all the information on how to get them of course i'm on all major pl- podcast platforms i'm on youtube i'm on spotify apple all those We're, we do video podcasts every week and uh every week on youtube you'll see five or five new shows every single not new shows but five shows every week on youtube and then we have our audio platform so yeah it's
2: it's <laughs> moving forward well, it's great. Listen, I, I, I'm so proud of the work you're doing because it is so important. And that's why I wanted to have you on our show to share again, um, with all our listeners that, you know, are looking for help and support out there. And again, just, you know, someone like yourself, a real tough guy right? you you're coming on and, and you're talking about the tattoos. A, do it. The tattoos quality. all over the arm. Yeah. yeah. But you come on. So the next move for
3: us, Paul, is for you to come on my show and Absolutely. for you to reach my audience, because my audience
2: really, I really want them to listen to your story as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's a lot of parents that raise children with autism. Um, they've been through a lot of traumatic experiences day after day. And, um, you know, it does wear on you. Um, you know, I shared it just real quick, not just not don't want to share the whole story now because we're we're short on time, but show, just want to, you know. <laughs> we went through a, an episode with my son where he had a manic episode where he was like out of control. He was running out into the street, running outside in the middle of the night for hours, um, trying to find him, you know, two, three in the morning running out around. Uh, and, and he wouldn't come anywhere near us and running away from me. And, um, you know, one night he took off completely. We couldn't find him. Um, you know, we did, I work with the sheriff's department. We do a lot of work with project lifesaver. Um, uh, fortunately we were able to find him before they had to come out. Um, but they were on call they were already on their way out to the to the area to try to find him um after a couple of hours of he was missing and we ended up finding him in the middle of the street on a busy road um so wow. he could have been killed so I mean so those things are traumatic when you experience that so definitely um I think we'll talk a little bit about that obviously, which kind of aligns with with your mission and what you're doing but uh, you know there's a lot of stories that I could share um from parents that have been through consistent, you know stress and and traumatic events which which definitely do affect your mental health so it's important to talk about that i think so i'm looking forward to that i really am because
3: there's again it's it's your message that you can get out to those who are suffering from the same thing that you're suffering for but you know the great thing about you paul is you've you've already
2: proven the concept you use that as a strength look at what you're doing right here absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. That's your strength yeah i mean that's how it started that's how it started on our program right i started sharing my experiences and i remember mom out in texas reached out and said you know what? i listened to your show at 2 a.m in the morning and you know I, i was a single mom i'm raising a child i'm having challenges but you know what you made me feel not so alone and i think that's the biggest gift um again and our show is called hope saves the day and so they're giving someone a glimmer of hope at the end of the day by sharing your journey so again very similar work with your what you're doing about traumatic and events and and again mental health so very important work and um I commend you and your partners for for doing this and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable that's not always an easy thing to do as well Kevin so it's definitely a, um a big step to do in a leap of of faith to be able to share uh, a very personal story with everyone so thank you for doing that and the thank only you- con- the only concrete death sentence in this world is the loss of hope. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, I just want to say thank you for, uh, you know, Kevin Donaldson for coming on our show today with Hope Saves a Day. And again, talking about all the things that he's doing uh, again to really ch- change the mental health stigma. Uh, again, and we're looking forward to your book. We're definitely going to have you back on. Uh, Hopefully, you'll you'll give us a signed copy we'd like to give away. Uh, Man, you are crazy on our program. We definitely would love to do that. Um, And again, we'll definitely put any links and anything that you're working on. Uh, We'd love to share it because I, I do think your message can help a lot of people. So thank you for... Again, just being a great person and a human being and and um you know sharing again your experiences with a very obviously difficult topic to talk about and um then definitely been through some traumatic events in your life that um hopefully nobody else has to go through, but um, again, I think, uh, sharing your story helps people heal and, uh, at least start the process to talk about it and be self-aware of maybe what they're going through. So thank you for doing that. Uh, again, we look forward to having you on again, and, uh, I definitely look forward to spending some time on your program. Uh, again, the suffering podcast, um, which is a, again, it's a critically acclaimed podcast and you're doing a great job over there. So, uh some good works, Kevin. So thank you for doing that. And we'll definitely uh, connect real soon. I appreciate everything. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, we'd like to again, thank to all our listeners um, for continued support here on the program on Hope Saves a Day. We'd like to thank our special guest today, Kevin Donaldson, really sharing a very heartfelt story, um, again, of some traumatic events in his life, but he turned this around and uh, is helping so many people out there. And again, that really aligns with our mission statement and giving people hope around the world. So thank you for that. And remember, as always, until next time, everybody hope saves the day. Have a great one,
0: everybody. Hi, I'm Elissa Pizzell. I work with Amari Global. I am proud to announce that we have partnered with the Autism Radio family, a cause that is near and dear to my heart continue to tune in to Hope Saves a Day every week on autismradio.org. And when you're snapping up your Amare products, don't forget to add promo code autismradio to receive $10 off your first purchase.
1: Every time I see your smile I wonder what you feel Every time you laugh or cry I wonder if it's real You seem trapped inside Please help me understand What is your world like? I want to feel your love I want to know what it's like to laugh and play Imagine a thought that you cannot feel A tear trapped inside Imagine a sound that you cannot make No matter how hard you try I want you to know how I'm feeling I want you to know how it feels to be me I wish you could look into my world And see how I see Hold my hand and remind me To hold on to hope each day Let this song be my voice And remember hope say show you what i see what kind of life will i have what's in store for me don't be afraid just love and hold me i can be all that i can be with your love i can do anything with your love i can see the world like rays of light shine upon me inside of me yeah, yeah. Then you are right by my side I will love you to the end of time